Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have an amazing guest, a woman I've been following for a while now on Instagram. She's also on TikTok and YouTube, and she has really made a name for herself in the field of hospice and death and dying. And Julie McFadden is a BSNRN and she's been a nurse for 15 years. She's an experienced ICU and now hospice palliative nurse. She's been featured in Newsweek, USA Today, The Atlantic, The Business Insider, Medscape, People, BuzzFeed, and several other articles worldwide. Julie, like me, is passionate about normalizing death through education to the masses using social media. Her TikTok has 1.1 million followers, and you can find her on every social platform at Hospice Nurse Julie. Welcome, Julie. Hi. Hi, Amy. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. And so it makes me blush when <laughs> hearing that. I need your support. If you've been listening to me for a while, or even if you just started, you can go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. And there you can find different levels in which you can support the podcast financially. At this point, I have no ads. I have no um, sponsors. I am solely self-funding this podcast. And it would really, really help me out if you've gotten something out of this podcast, if you could donate $5, $10, or even $20 a month just to help me out, to help support the podcast. I'm continuing to work to try to get sponsors, to try to get advertisers. But until that happens, I need your help. And there are other ways to support the podcast. In addition to Patreon, you can like the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. I always love reading your reviews. They're really heartwarming to me. And it's the emotional currency that I get from providing you with this resource. So uh, please, please take a moment to just 
help me out here. You can also find the links in this um, episode, in the episode notes, as well as on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Robbins. It's just so amazing to, to see how you really built such a, a following, like a cult following around death and dying, which I think just speaks to people's curiosity about it, their interest in it, their voyeuristic nature around it, but no one really wanting to talk about it. So you just put it all out there. Yes. You said it perfect. You said it perfect. You know, before I started the social media thing, I think, um, you know, I didn't, in my real everyday life, when you try to talk to people about death, you can meet a lot of resistance. So I knew I had something to say, and I just didn't know if people were going to want to listen. So to, to see that people do, and then to find other people like you and just being on social media, you find other people who are doing the same thing you're doing. And you're like, wow, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole worldwide group of people that are interested and like willing and ready to learn and ask questions. It's been really, really great. So you did not start as a hospice nurse. You started no. as a traditional nurse, you were in ICU and you made this shift because you were really not happy, right? With the traditional kind of nursing, what would make someone want to go from nursing to hospice nursing, you know, like what seems like kind of the, the worst of the worst in terms of the human condition? It's funny because first starting out, well, one thing I don't, if there's any nurses listening, if you're not happy being a nurse where you are, try other areas. That's a one amazing thing about, well, there's a, there's a bunch of amazing things about nursing, but the one thing is that you can try a bunch of things out and it can feel really scary, but that that is the best thing I ever did for myself is try other types of nursing to figure out what the heck I want to do. But the hospice nursing, palliative care nursing, never on my radar. I feel like my decision to do ICU nursing came a lot from my ego, this, you know, unconsciously, but now looking mm-hmm. back, you know, I want to be the best in my, in my version in my world, right in my head, ICU nursing was the best, the most intense. Um, you know, you're learning the most. None of this is really true. All nursing is great, but it came from an it was an ego based decision, mm-hmm. I think. And um, I was very unhappy. I quickly understood this was not for me, and I still stayed there for like eight or nine years. I mean, within the first two years, completely burnt out. Completely, I hated my job. Compassion fatigue. I did not like. I had to like hurry up and care. I hate the feeling of having to hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ICU nursing is like right. constant hurry. You're constantly in a rush. Um, so I learned a lot. I'm so glad I did it because I learned so much. And I think it really makes me a great hospice nurse because I know the other end, the opposite mm-hmm. end, which would be in the ICU trying to save someone's life. And that's what gave me the passion for learning about how to talk about death and dying. At least I still didn't necessarily link myself going into hospice, but like a couple of years into my ICU training, I was like, we need to do better about talking about death because no one's talking about it here. I was going to, I was, I was wondering about that, what it's like, because I think in, you know, hospital settings, I was actually just talking to a woman the other day who lost her mother to cancer pretty quickly. And she was saying like, it was already like stage four. I can't remember, maybe pancreatic cancer. And she was like, and and they just told us to keep trying all these meds 
And no one talked to us about the possibility that it probably wasn't going to make a difference. And we could have had a different experience had we gone a different (sighs) route. I know I was like, exactly. And so how much did you talk about death and dying as an ICU nurse? We did not. We did. And here's the thing. It's been a while now. It's been, you know, a few years. So things probably have changed. And I don't want to blame anybody. No one's maliciously doing this. Right. 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 But it just wasn't something we talked about. Like, and I was at a a large teaching hospital where we would have these rounds in front of every patient's room with multiple doctors at multiple levels, multiple nurses, multiple, you know, social worker, like a bunch of people on this team. And still we would not mention like the big picture and not everyone in the ICU is dying. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is right. But Many people are, especially mm-hmm. at the longer time, the longer time goes, the more likely that is the case. Right. And I wouldn't say never. There were a few doctors that seemed to have that little piece in them that was like, let's talk about palliative medicine. Let's talk about end of life. Let's talk about big picture ideas. So there were some that would do that, but they would rotate in and out of the unit. So that's how it just depends on which doctors there. And what I found was once I got once I was there long enough, it was like, oh, we just need one voice. Like, I didn't realize that I had the voice until I said something. And it was like, one person just needed to say something and it changed everything. All I had to say was, should we start, should we have a family meeting to talk about big picture? And everyone knew what I meant. Everyone there knew what I meant. They were all like, oh, right. Right. So you were the one to give voice to what everybody was thinking, which is often the case with that, right? It's not like it's not there for people. I think it's constantly there for people. Just no one wants to say. No one wants to say it or they don't think it's their, they don't think it's their uh, spot. Like, especially with, um, and I don't want to get too off track. I'm sorry. You can reel me in if I do. No, no. um, you know, someone with like metastatic cancer, right? Like a lot of times when they're in the hospital, they're seeing the kidney doctor, the lung doctor, the infectious disease doctor. Those doctors are like, oh, the oncologist can talk to this person about Mm -hmm. end of life. We're here for the infection. We're Mm -hmm. here for the whatever, you know, and, and I, and I get it. I get it. Uh, But then it just, I think everyone's kind of passing the buck and being like, well, they'll talk about it. They'll talk about it. Maybe they'll talk about it. Right. And we just and then need no to, one talks about and then it. no one talks about it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up choosing God. hospice? You know, I think I just got miserable enough in my job. Um, I tried to do other, I tried to do travel nursing and, and contractual nursing where you work. Like I tried to work in outpatient. Um, like I tried to do like other little mini kind of nursing jobs mm-hmm. and I still didn't like those. So eventually I just, I just thought maybe I'll try hospice because there has to be a better way to die. And I feel like it's a little more natural and in the home and peaceful. So I should just try that. There was no big moment. It was just sort of like, there has to be a better way. And I think hospice might be that. So I, um, so I applied and it said, you must have experience. And I didn't, but I applied anyway. And then basically in my interview, I like begged them to give me, to allow me to try. I was like, I really want to try this. I think this is where I belong. Mm. Um, And then I was right. It was like, oh, wow, this is, and I loved nursing again. I love nursing again. Can you differentiate for us? What is the difference between hospice, palliative care, and a death doula? Where do each of those pieces fit in this dying process? So 
I'll try to do it quickly because it's it's comp it's kind a little complicated. Mm -hmm. So like it could be a very long winded answer. So this is just generally. So just generally, hospice. Um, like the nitty gritty is like you have technically to be on hospice. Someone had to tell you a doctor or someone had to say you have less than six months to live. Okay, less than six months to live, likely give or take whatever, but likely less than six months to live. Um, you can't get any kind of treatment. So you can't chemo, radiation, you can't go see like specialists, you can't get procedures done, you can't get like PET scans, CT scans, you're not supposed to go into the hospital anymore. If you do, you will come off hospice. So you can't, like you are on hospice now, this is the benefit you're getting from Medicare. So it's also federally funded. So all hospices should basically act and give the same care uh, because Medicare is the boss. Can you decide? I'm the I person want hospice, like even if the doctor doesn't like they could say we don't know how much longer you have could be you can self-refer you okay. can self-refer but um it's it's easier to get a doctor to do it but you could self-refer but then the hospice company has to evaluate if you're actually appropriate so just because some, someone could just be like I want to come on hospice you know if they're not appropriate right. they're not appropriate there's like right. really strict criteria we have to follow from Medicare okay okay got it and palliative care is not federally funded. So palliative programs can differ on what they offer patients. But palliative is a little more like symptom management. So I think palliative care should be in everyone's life. If you're if there's something wrong with you, you should have like a palliative care doctor to kind of like look at you like big picture as a whole person um, to help manage your disease process. So you're usually uh terminal within a year or so. So there is like death likely to happen due mm -hmm. to this specific disease that you're on palliative care for. But that's not necessarily true. So that's like a general statement, right? Not everyone on palliative care is dying. It's more of a symptom management program. Um, so that's palliative. It's And, and then a death doula is something that um, is not regulated yet. So there's no like regulatory system for a death doula. There's no like certificate you have to get or something you have to pass to become a death doula. Now there are like people set up, people who train death doula set up their own training mm -hmm. and their own certification, but it's not like regulated by a system yet, mm -hmm. which is like a good and bad thing, right. I think. So like right. the good thing is, we're not regulated. We can do what we want. That's great. The bad thing is, I think it's hard for, and, and I'm not a death doula, so I don't know, but it seems like it'd be hard for them to get paid. So from what I've been seeing, mm. the main, the main, the way they get paid is through out of pocket. Like the family pays out of pocket for a death doula. It's not like a hospice company hires a death doula. Right. Uh, however, some, some may, but Medicare is not paying for that, right? Because it's not regulated. So they would be paying it out of their pocket. So I'm generally speaking there. Uh, but a death doula is someone, it's like a birth doula. So that someone who helps you through the death and dying process, either before you die, during, after, all three, if that's what the family wants. So they might be more present than a hospice nurse who kind right. of comes in and out in that Correct. way, right? Yep. You come in and mm -hmm. out to treat. Yeah. Um, but you don't sit bedside necessarily. No. Right. No, we not even necessarily. We don't. That's a huge misconception. Mm. I, I don't like it. I, I wish we could, mm -hmm. but we don't. We don't. 
Yeah. But so you, death doula, I would love a, I would love death doulas to be part of the hospice team employed by the hospice company. So we have that. Um, so if that can happen one day, I would love that. But as of now, I, most people are hiring death doulas um, out of their own pocket. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I think I think that's accurate uh, no, for my think limited right. knowledge. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, anybody I know who's a death doula does it. You know, they get hired by the family to to come help. And then obviously it becomes an exclusive, you know, an exclusive person to be able to have because if you can't afford it, you can't have that. And so it's, yeah, it's really, and I think people struggle so much. I mean, they have hospice, but not all hospice nurses are the same. Right. right? And, um, and I think they don't understand what's happening in this dying process. So can you walk us through a little bit? Cause you're, I mean, you, you go pretty great. You show some pretty graphic stuff online in terms of what, and you warn everybody and everything, but what happens as someone is actively dying? Like what is, what is actively dying? At what point are you actively dying? Like, aren't we all kind of yeah, right. actively dying? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> at what point do you determine like this is an active death and what are some of the um, markers that we look for? It was, this is not funny at all, but it is kind of funny that my fish died. <laughs> my, my son's fish died last night. Um, oh. Yeah, I know. And he's out of town. So it's not going to be a pretty sight when he comes back. Yeah. But my husband was like reading about the fish and was reading that like if the temperature isn't right, that maybe that could be it. So he changed the water and the the fish had like this burst of energy. And then like two hours later, died. died. And I was like, rally. He had the rally. I was like, do even, I'm going to ask hospice nurse Julie about that tomorrow. Do even fish have that same rally? Cause my husband said he'd never seen him like that before. Like in months, the guy's been laying at the bottom of the tank. Suddenly he like swimming all over. And then that was it. So that's my segue into let's talk about what happens when humans die. (laughs) Not just fish. Yes. Well, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Side note, I have talked to some veterinarians who are amazing and they do say a lot of the things that I talk about animals go through too. Mm. So, yeah. I I mean, they didn't say say fish specifically, but like (laughs) like dogs and cats and, you know, but um, I'm not sure my N of one validates anything, but maybe, maybe there's other people (laughs) listening right now who also had fish that have had the rally. Yeah. 
Okay, so actively dying. We that's like the term we use for people who are um at the very end end stage, which is usually a few hours. They can usually actively die for a few hours to a few days. I've seen someone actively die for like two weeks. That's abnormal, mm. but it happens and it's mm -hmm. okay. So that's when the body is to me, actively dying is like the true biological process that like all of the built-in mechanisms for that our body has um, to help us die. Like everything's kicked in then. Just like someone can, just like we don't, well, we know how birthing happens, but the, the fact that like our bodies just do it, right? And, mm -hmm. and the baby just can somehow come out of the birth canal and survive and um, uh, everything works. Death is like that too. There are things that are happening biologically in the body to make the body do certain things to die. So that's what's happening in the actively dying uh -huh. process. And it doesn't necessarily, if you're not used to seeing it, it can look, that, that's why I show videos that seem graphic. Now, in my mind, they're not because this right. is what death looks like and it's normal. But everyone else, I get it. I mean, I, I do understand that people need trigger warnings it can be upsetting like but that's my point is to show that like this is not you're not seeing anything traumatic this is what death looks like mm -hmm. you know people mm -hmm. don't just close their eyes and go to sleep now some people actually do that does actually happen but the majority most people no matter what you're dying from if you're dying a natural death i would call it which is on hospice meaning you're doing no interventions you will look like this at the actively dying phase no matter what you're dying from Cancer, congestive heart failure, COPD, Alzheimer's dementia, you're kind of all going to look the same mm. in the actively dying phase okay. to an extent. Mm -hmm. Before the actively dying phase is where you can differ a little bit as far as what your dying journey will look like. Okay. So the main things you'll see is usually people are fully unconscious. So fully unconscious. Their eyes and mouths are usually open or at least partially open. Um, they will not be taking food and water because they are unconscious mm -hmm. and, um, they still will be making urine and having some bowel movements. So you'll still need to change them and stuff depending on what's going on, depending on their disease, but that will be still happening. And then the biggest things that people get really freaked out about are the changes in breathing. So they will be breathing differently. They're not breathing like you and I breathe or anyone listening is breathing. They breathe differently, but that's not because... They're struggling to breathe. It's because the body is uh, biologically and chemically and metabolically shutting down and it causes mm -hmm. you to breathe different. Mm -hmm. And I can like get into the chemistry of it. Like your, your pH, your CO2, your O2, it's all getting kind of, it's all getting, it's all um, not regulating. So it makes you breathe different. Mm. Um, and then the changes in skin color can also kind of be alarming to people. It doesn't happen to everybody, but some people get a little gray or they'll get blotchy, or they'll have modeling in their hands and feet, which kind of looks like sausage almost, like it's a mm. veiny looking purplish. It doesn't happen with everybody, but also normal. And then the terminal secretions, or the death rattle, people will call it, mm -hmm. which happens right before death usually. And people think their loved ones are drowning in their own fluid, because it kind of sounds like that. I mean, there, mm -hmm. I, I get why if you don't know what it is, you could freak out. Um, but really all, all that is, uh, and it happens at almost everybody is, uh, secretions in the mouth because your, your mouth is 
making saliva still, but your brain is not telling you to swallow it. So either your brain's not telling you to swallow it or these muscles are not working. So you're not swallowing it because you're just fully relaxed Mm -hmm. and unconscious. Mm -hmm. So that collects in an open mouth. And then with every breath, it sounds really wet. Got it. Okay. And we don't suction it because it creates more saliva. The more we suction, the more the body's going to create saliva. Mm. So we don't. We usually just let it go if, if families are okay with it. If they're really bothered by it, we can do little tricks. Turn the person on their side, let the saliva come out. Medications to dry it out, but then they have dry mouth. So it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a balance. Not like anything, you're always trading something for something. Right, right, right. And um And that's what people look like, you know, and I want to show that in real time or not real time, but just show that through video. So people, it's not the first time they're seeing it. You know, this is what it looks like. This is all normal. The stuff that you're seeing is all normal. And Um, what about the rallies and the terminal lucidity that people talk about those moments, you know, in the day before or whatever it is that sometimes make people believe like there's a fighting chance here. Yeah. So the rally um, is a phenomenon because we don't actually know why it happens. Uh, There's theories, of course, but no one really knows. Um, Usually happens in about 30% of our patients are like um, one in every three patients will experience it. And it's usually right before the actively dying phase. So it's, they're not actively dying yet, but it's like right before where they're kind of sleeping all the time. They're still in and out of consciousness. And then suddenly they wake up and they're like, I'm hungry. I'm, you know, and they have a personality. They they look like they've almost made like a full recovery. Like mm. it, it can be that drastic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, I think, kind of know better that maybe it's not a full recovery, but maybe, hey, maybe they're not as sick as we thought. Um, or uh, and they have a really good day usually, and then they die suddenly. So the so the thing that's really uh, that makes it the rally is if they're good, and then they die. So if someone just has like a really good few weeks. That is not the rally. <laughs> the rally is almost to the actively dying phase, shoots up and has a really good day or two and then dies suddenly. And we it's don't, us. there's no un, like explanation for why that might happen. We don't understand. No, we don't know. And I don't know if it's because um, like people don't find value in studying death, right? I think like when it's, when you're end of life, like, do you want to spend the time studying like letting someone study you take blood take this take this to to try to figure out why this is happening because they might be able to take some blood samples and figure out this level goes up and this goes down and it causes who knows right but so I don't know if it's that they can't get willing participants or no one wants to invest in that because what's the point you know I don't know but no so I don't know if it's like from lack of study or we just can't figure it out Hmm. I don't know interesting right I know and then visioning. Oh, visioning is my favorite. So it never fails. People think I talk about visioning to like make people more comfortable, which again, I'm, I'm happy it does, but that's, that's not why. Like to me, it's the most fascinating part of dying. And I didn't know anything about it until I was a, hosp- a hospice nurse, even as an ICU nurse, no one talks about this, but, um, it happens so often that we actually educate, like it's in our educational books that we give families. It's a, it's a sign of death and dying, which is when usually a few weeks to about a month before someone dies, when they're still really lucid, they're still uh, making sense. They're not like um, people always think it's because of lack of oxygen. Like they're right on their last breath and they start Mm -hmm. seeing dead relatives. No, it's, 
um, very, they're usually very lucid and they will tell us that they're seeing their dead loved ones or dead pets or their dead friends or their parents, whoever it is. It's always someone loving. It's not someone they didn't want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's in dreams. I have heard people say my parents came to me in dreams, but most of the time it's right there in front of them. They are, their family visits them. And either just hangs out or says like, Hey, you're coming with us soon. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Um, it's going to be great. And that happens. I mean, I don't actually have a percentage on that one. I know it's wild. It's so wild. It happens all the time. I mean, it's like people always want me to tell like certain stories. I'm like, I honestly can't because it happens so often that like I forget because it happens all the time. People all the time dying see dead relatives, dead loved ones. And what do you attribute that to? Because I feel like most, you know, traditional materialist doctors would say that's some chemical being released in the brain. So I guess I love to say, I I just don't know. Like I know enough to know that I don't know. Right. I, um, the thing that, the thing I do know is when people say like, um, oh, it's, it's something like that, right. The chemicals being released in the brain to comfort people or, oh, it's DMT or um, it's low oxygen, or it's medications, things like that. So I've been a nurse long enough to know what what like psycho like ICU psychosis looks like, what delirium looks like, what um, sundowning looks like. You know, things that actually cause agitation or hallucinations or delusions or paranoia, like things like that. This is very different from anything like that. It's it's um. So I know what it's not. Right. <laughs> it's not medication. It's not low oxygen because they don't have low oxygen. That's a whole other story. But like, it's not the things that people try to use to explain it. Um, especially when you said like, uh, like the doctors who say, oh, it's like, because there actually was an EEG done of a man who died. And they the EEG showed that the like dreamlike state and memories and like, flashed before this person's eye, you know, in their mind before they died, which could be, I love that the brain does that for us. What a miracle. I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. But visioning is a little different because it's not right before they die. It's mm-hmm. a month before they die. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still sitting up and talking to me and eating a sandwich, <laughs> you know, talking about their dead relatives. And they're like, um, my dad's standing over there in the corner and he's telling yes. me he's waiting for me. Yes. And they're, they feel com- very comforted. Like they're unfazed by it or are they like, what, what is happening? Well, it's usually has already been happening. So like by okay. when I get there to visit the, the wife sometimes will, or someone will be like, Hey, just so you know, um, weird thing. Like my, my husband's saying that his dad is here, blah, 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 blah. And then the husband will be like, I was, it was, you know, it shocked me at first, but now I'm kind of like, Hey, this is great. Like, you know, and now it's comforting. So I, I usually see the aftermath of it. Uh, I'm not okay. usually there like right when they see them, it's like, they're explaining to me what's going on. Um, and people are never afraid though. Usually it's like, I was so afraid. And then last night at the foot of my dad, my dad was there and he said, you know, I'm coming for you. You still have time That's here. So beautiful. And it makes me want to cry. I know. And then they'll be like, and now I'm not scared. <laughs> you know, all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And not everybody. So I would say the majority of people, mm-hmm. it's about a few weeks to a month before they die. And they're like that. It's lucid. And they know what they're talking about. They know what's going on. Some people, it is 
closer to their death and it's like someone with like dementia so people who like can't communicate like that right Mm -hmm. um people who are already confused or have dementia um a lot of times how i'll see it manifest in them is when they're not actively dying yet but kind of getting close to the we will call it transitioning like kind of like they're they're doing well and then they're transitioning to actively dying they will say things like mama or start calling people's names that have been dying or like looking up and smiling, you know, Mm. because they aren't really lucid enough anyway, baseline to have a, to have a conversation about like my dad was here. Um, But Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. Go ahead. Have you ever had a shared death experience? Yes. Oh my God. That's one of my I know. Favorite, I, saw, yeah. I, saw, I saw. Oh, it. you saw it. Okay, I was like, "Damn, girl!" <laughs> yeah, I so saw I that one. I didn't know it was called a shared death experience um, until I told people about it, and then they're like, "That's a shared death experience." So, yeah, it was. It was um, with a gentleman that we um, got really close. With. I say we, like the hospice team in general, were really close with him. I mean, I think all of us are really close, but whatever. This man like hit different a little bit, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I was his case manager for many months and like we had tons of conversation. It was like a, it's not always that like every hospice nurse gets to talk to their patient specifically about their death. Right. But this guy happened to be like really into talking about like, what's death going to be like? Is there an afterlife? Like he was really into that. So like him and I would always talk about it and I never claimed to know I'm always just listening and talking. And I think it's an interesting thing to discuss anyway. So he is actively dying in his in his house and a continuous care nurse is there with him. And I, as the case manager, go in to just check to see basically how the actively dying process is going, make sure he's comfortable. So he was unconscious and I could tell he was going to die that day just by how he was breathing and how he looked. I could tell like today's the day. So I said my goodbyes like in the house and I told the continuous care nurse like, hey, can you text me like when this happens just so I know. She's like, totally. So I leave, uh, I said my goodbyes and I leave him in my car. And I was like, kind of happy for him. And like thinking in my head, like, you know, I hope everything goes well. I hope you have a peaceful, good, great good journey. Death. Like, yeah. Yeah. And just sort of thinking about it. And I would say it almost feels like you're, I was like transported, like for like, all of a sudden I heard his voice in my head talking to me and when that started happening, I could, I could feel, I felt like suddenly I would start feeling these like crazy, super intense feelings of like freedom, like, like a freeness, like an overwhelming feeling of like peace and joy. And I guess like happiness, like so much so that like instant tears, instant, like weeping from like tears of joy. Um, And I could hear his voice and his voice was so funny because he wasn't saying anything profound. He was like surprised. He was going like, oh my gosh, Julie. Oh my God, Julie. Oh my God, Julie. Over and over again. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like excited. Like if I only would have known, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And he didn't actually say, I can't believe how good this is. But the feeling was, I cannot believe how good this is. Mm -hmm. If I only would have known because he feared death. He was Mm -hmm. afraid, you know, Um, Mm. and not like struggling. I'm so afraid, but like he would talk about like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm kind of afraid, you know, so um, to feel and hear him being so excited and so like, oh, my gosh, if I only would have known, if I only would have known 
this is so amazing. Again, he didn't put those words in, but the feeling was that like, mm-hmm. if I only would have known, I cannot believe how good this is. I felt like I could see a smile on his face. It was strange, right? This kind of stuff like doesn't really happen to me. So I don't, I didn't know what was going <laughs> on, but talking about it afterwards, it was like, he was giving me his voice. I could kind of get like a vision in my head of like him, which was him kind of like soaring and smiling. And then I had the feeling of that too. I had this feeling of like soaring, freedom, um, joy, peace. And Mm -hmm. I feel like he was showing me what it was like to die. And again, Mm -hmm. I can only tell you this now that it's happened during the time I was like, it feels like I was transformed to like another space in time for like 30 seconds. And then I was like, back on a psychedelic experience, like a non-medically induced psychedelic experience. I know, I know, I know. And then I was kind of back in my body being like, oh, what the hell, you know, like, and I got a text from the girl inside, the nurse inside who said so-and-so just died. I mean, like right after, like mm-hmm. I, I can't, it was like, I came back down, text, so-and-so just died. And I thought, yeah, that checks out because I, I didn't tell her. Cause I don't, right. I, I like for a while I was like shell shocked. I like sat in my car, like, what the hell is that? You <laughs> right, know? Right. And I did call my best friend uh, probably like an hour afterwards being like, dude, <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but she's a nurse too. And <laughs> we're just really close. I was like, I, I feel like I had like a really weird experience in my car earlier it was a wild and years like I didn't really talk about it and then I started being like what people always ask why I don't fear death and that's like one of the main reasons why mm-hmm. and I just don't share it and then mm-hmm. finally I was like screw it why don't I just tell people you know it's so amazing and so comforting yeah and I think that there there are did you read William Peter's book no um, but I have shit. it I have okay. it I have it I'm yeah. just bad at reading <laughs> listen so I don't great. know skim you could just like pick a couple because it's all people's you know anecdotal stories and it's so amazing to hear these people's experiences of like when they they have these spontaneous transformational spiritual yeah. like shape-shifting like the room gets weird or whatever it is it's, it's just god there's just so much we don't know it's amazing I know I know that's what I mean. I know I I know I don't know, but I I just truly believe there is something. Like like I don't want to have an opinion enough that I have to like hold on to this opinion and like try to get mm-hmm. people to believe that opinion. Right. It's like no, I just I think I believe there is something. I don't know what that something is, but I know it's good and I know everyone's going there. <laughs> there, I whatever mean, there is, like right, right, right. And that's what's amazing. You know, you don't I mean that's what got me to a place where I could actually do this podcast was like I don't care if other people believe it or don't believe it. I just want to show them and tell them stories of these experiences that so many people have that don't talk about because for the same reason you didn't for quite some time, I would imagine like you don't know what people are going to say. You don't know what they're going to think. How are they going to dismiss it? And when it's so, and I'm like the medical professional trying to educate about death and dying. And then I have these like, mystical stories right and also but what's so great is like the more and this I truly mean this the more I'm around death and dying the more like those two things are mutually exclusive like to me the the fact that our bodies can like biologically die and they know how to do it and they can take care of us is just as spiritual and magical as like me having a shared death experience like all of it's the same like that like there we are divinely made or however you want to say it like it's a miracle to me that there's like built-in mechanisms to help us die 
it's a miracle that I mean, yeah, even when I just get sick and I'm like, last week I didn't feel great. Suddenly I do. Yeah. It's like, how did my body do that? Like it just knew yeah. what to do to make me feel better. It didn't yeah. take anything. Well, I took supplements, but like other than that, it just healed itself. Or even like if you get a cut, you're like, oh my God, or a bruise. Yeah. You're like, wow. Yes. It's really so remarkable. And for you to be able to witness that process has got to be. Yes. Well, I think too, like if we want to talk about, yes, yes, yes. And and there's something that happens. And, I, and I've always kind of been a seeker ever since I've been a little girl. I mean, I've always had this spiritual side to me, even as without parent, parental influence, nothing. It was just like in me. And mm-hmm. um, the same feeling that Oh, I almost said his name. The same, um, the same feeling we that cut it um, out. we could have cut okay, it out. Good. Uh, <laughs> the same feeling that uh, my patient gave me with that shared death experience. I felt before I have felt that feeling before, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a little more detailed because he was in my head, like saying things and I, and, uh, and it, it was, it was me and him sharing that moment. So it was a little different, but that feeling of overwhelming, overwhelming freedom and like a home feeling mm-hmm. like like and it's peace. like like yes it's like peace. a familiar feeling of like oh I'm almost homesick for a place I once knew you know like I feel like we're going to a place that we have already known and that's why it's not scary and right. I get that feeling when I watch people die I get that feeling and I get that feeling whenever I, I'm not a labor and delivery nurse but I always think if I didn't do hospice I would do that those people are, are as, I mean, I assume that death, death, um, that hospice nursing and labor and delivery are like, you are both God as close to God yes. in my mind having had three kids as any. <laughs> I haven't seriously. had kids. That's why I don't do it. Cause I'm like, oh, I haven't had kids. I can't <laughs> even try to imagine, but, but I would say if I didn't do hospice, I would do that. And I still might do it. Cause I want to, I want to see what it's like. But when I watch videos, not that I do this all the time, but I've seen videos of, of live birth, right? I weep. I weep because it's the same feeling. It's like the baby is coming in on like angel breath or something where it's like, or even if I look at a baby, it's like where I, I have a video about this, but it's like, I can look at a baby and think like, where were you baby? Right. Right. You know, like not in your mother's womb, but like before, like, where were you? Cause I feel like when I look at you, you are at, you were at a place that I once knew and I can't wait mm. to be there again. Mm-hmm. And that is how death feels. And mm. I, and I think I can feel that because I'm not the one experiencing grief, right? Grief can like, right. it's hard. It's sad. Like you're losing this person you love so dearly. Right. And because I'm removed from that, I just see the beauty in it. And that's what I want people to understand. Like you could, and and I get it when you're grieving, you're not going to necessarily see it like that, but. um, Because you have all the other feelings that are compounded by loss, right. That you just can't get out of because you're human. Yeah. How do you feel like, how do you feel about living? Um, Given that, given that you face death every day, like how does that, how do you feel like it's changed or shaped how you live or has it? I feel like the only thing that hospice has done is help me. Um, gosh, you know, hospice wouldn't really, I, 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 I love it so much. I just don't think death is like the worst thing. So like, 
It does give me grat. It gives me gratitude to be in a place where like, I love my job and I love my work and I get to connect with people all the time. Um, but it doesn't make me be like, and I'm so grateful I'm not dying. Like, that's not how I feel because I just don't think death is the worst possible thing. But what I do, what, what it does help me do and understand is that like life is about to me, anyway, life is about like connection. Like, mm-hmm. like that is what the hospice has given me is like knowing that life is about connecting to people and about like, um, that's it. <laughs> I could go on, but like that, like simple as that. It's about like connecting with people, living in community, like being there for each other, loving each other, like mm-hmm. tolerance and compassion. Um, like it's a, one of my greatest joys being able to like witness people love each other so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, damn, <laughs> that's so, that is what the only thing that matters. It feels like in that moment is mm-hmm. like, this is the only thing that matters, but I have lost some really close people in my life when I was younger to like tragic kind of like sudden deaths. And those things have helped me um, understand life too, and not take life for granted and to uh, not hold grudges and, you know, and tell people I love them and, and do the things that scare me and be easy on myself and be, you know, like those, Mm -hmm. those deaths have um, profoundly shaped how I live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, that makes sense, yeah. which is, I try to, that my main focus in life is to, is contentment, is to be content, mm-hmm. is not to, is not to, um, like, reach out for other things, to achieve things, like, that's not, at least for me, that is not what, what uh, fuels me, what I want is peace and contentment, and, and connection, I, I, and I connection, love that, because that, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, like, those moments, whomever, Whomever they're with, whoever they're with, they're, they're what it's all about. Yes, and a big way to get for me, a big way to get to have to have contentment and uh, and connection is by having a connection to a higher power, my own personal higher power. Nothing religious about it. Um, well, of course, that's okay if it is, but mine personally is not. Mm-hmm. And service to others. In a boundary setting kind of way, because that can get a little murky, but like, yeah, but right. like, you know, and that's another mm. thing I've really developed is boundaries, but like me feeling, I never understood that like being of service to others can get me out of my own head, which can be a dark place sometimes mm-hmm. and, and, uh, give me that connection and then give me freedom and contentment and joy and I mean, I'm really getting off the rails here. No, I love this. I'm I'm like, I, I'm sitting here because I have a couple other questions that are more medically based. And I'm like, but I'd yeah. much rather be in this space. This is this is my um this is my uh, like happy place too. Like yes, just talking me too. about me too. like the meaning of it all and how to bring that meaning into your life in a really concrete and tangible way. So you can yeah. live with those deep connections. Cause from what I'm hearing, what you've experienced at the end is that that's ultimately what matters. And we give lip service to that a lot. What matters in the end, what matters in the end, but are we really living in that way? Yes. Yes. Cultivating those things that matter. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Yes. So a couple more, because we only have a few minutes left, but I could talk to you all day. Um, (laughs) Medical aid in dying. What are the misconceptions? How does it work? Where is it legal? Where is it not? Perfect. I love that you said medical aid in dying. Let's be clear with that. Let's call it that. Medical aid in dying. Let's not call it anything else. 
okay. or death with dignity only because, okay, I say that, I guess I'll call no. it whatever when I'll, people will say assisted suicide, uh, talk about suicide. I just, well, that's I just, really Jack Kevorkian to me. Like, yeah. That sounds like the throwback to like those. And days. I think even then it's not true. I mean, I, I love Jack Kevorkian and I thought, I, I thought he was amazing for what he did, but, um, but in, in Canada, so you're not, oh yeah, no, you're in Chicago. So mm-hmm. in Canada, medical aid in dying is a little <laughs> Jack Kevorkian-ish because doctors do it. Doctors inject you with medicine and you die. So like that does happen in Canada, which I'm all for, I'm okay with. I would feel, I even though I'm so all for medical aid in dying, I still would have a hard time injecting medication mm-hmm. into somebody and they mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm against it. I would just be a little like, oof, this feels very scary right. Right. to right. do. Right. Uh, but they do it. Um, and I don't even think doctors have to. I think maybe fan- I, actually, you know what? I shouldn't speak on the can- on the Canada thing because I don't really know. But I do like what they're doing up there. Um, <laughs> Whatever it is. Whatever it is. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, but here in America, most people don't know that in 11 states, you can end your own life um, uh, by drinking medicine if you meet criteria. And the criteria is uh, less than six months to live. Actually, I'm sure it varies from state to state, but here's the general thing. Uh, less than six months to live, two doctors basically signing off at different periods of time. So usually like one week and then like three weeks later or a month later or two weeks later, depending. Another doctor signing off saying, yes, this is still accurate. They still are alert and oriented. They can make their own choices. They can physically take it themselves. There's no mental illness, things like that. Um, and then you get the medication. And then whenever you're ready. So once you get the medication, it's not like a timeline where you have to take it, at least in California where I work. Um, Mm. People can hang on to the medication for months and they can never even take it. Um, Or they can take it when they, you know, you plan on it and then you take the medication and then you die. How long? And I've witnessed this. Um, So when you drink the medication, you will go into a coma or a very, very deep sleep. Um, within the first three to seven minutes, usually. And, and like, you're not waking, like you are out. Uh, so it looks like they're almost actively dying within that first three to seven minutes, but then their body will take about 45 minutes to an hour to shut down, depending on the person's size and just their body. So some people take hours, but it's usually about 45 minutes to an hour. The ones that I've witnessed. And then morphine is different right i mean you're not taking it yourself but it does slow everything down well morphine's not in this drink right is that what you're talking about no 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 but separate but you oh separate separate yeah morphine oh god yes thank you for saying that morphine is much different (laughs) yes morphine (laughs) does not do that morphine so people have a really big misconception about uh opioids in general so because so many people overdose on that on drugs like that because it's misused usually they're in not everybody but most of the time people who are ODing or overdosing is because they're injecting it or they are abusing it you know there's a whole other like taking morphine for end of life or for pain is is much much different than someone who is abusing it and again like no shade to the people who are that's a whole nother podcast and yeah, my I heart don't, i don't touch i don't touch that yes so. yes so like nothing to do with that but my whole point is mm-hmm. because this is so prevalent um people people think it's easy to take morphine and then die and it's like no 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 like you have to take a lot of more i mean you'd have to people 
a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of morphine to have a respiratory arrest, which is what causes you to overdose a respiratory arrest and die from that. I mean, it's actually difficult. Although there's this population of people that like, it doesn't seem like it's difficult because they're not doing what we're doing. Does that make sense? So like people think we're giving, I gave him an extra dose or I gave it to him a little too early or, you know, and it's like, no, that's not, Mm. it's not going to cause anything except for them to sleep more. Mm -hmm. And then they'll eventually, yeah. So it's very, very different. And it's actually very hard. I mean, we've had, I mean, we've had patients try to overdose and they can't, they don't, you know, they, they take a, a a boat ton of of stuff that they think will help and it doesn't do anything. So for make them sleep for like 48 hours Mm -hmm. and they wake up and they're they're okay. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's much different than the death with dignity medication. That stuff, it does um, end your life quite quickly. Mm. And then then there's no um, morphine in that, just Mm -hmm. so you know. But what a, I mean, it seems to me that that's a really like kind thing to be able to, to, to allow someone to do if they are in that space. And I I think think we compare people to our animals and it's like, we are, we are in, in the death space, I think much kinder to our animals in terms of how we treat them as they are actively dying. I know. I think, I mean, obviously it's a personal choice, right? Mm -hmm. It's So if people who don't believe in it or don't, it's like, okay, well, that's, uh, that's, that I totally respect that you don't believe in that. Right. Then just don't take it, (laughs) you know, but people who want to, I think it's, I think it's so beautiful and and being someone who's witnessed it, you know, it's, it's so beautiful and it's so peaceful and talk about the love. Damn. The love you see there. Is like right, I mean, and, and like anyone's know death, happening, you right? know, like it's, it's happening. Yeah. Like they're saying, they're literally saying their goodbyes to each other. Mm-hmm. And this person is still able to drink this medicine and know they're leaving. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. I live in a state that we provide that. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, um, yeah, I'm all for it. I think it should be in all 50. Uh, you know, I think it should be a, uh, something that the federal, federal government. Yeah. 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 Um, last question, because okay. I know we have to wrap up, but I want to get all of this in. Psychedelics and death care. I'm all, I don't know anything about it. I kind of wish oh. I did, but I don't know anything about it. I haven't, I haven't worked with it. I haven't um, uh, uh, gone there yet, but I, you know what? I'm all about new anything. Like why not try a bunch of stuff if we think it can help, especially if the patient wants it. Mm-hmm. And um, I've read good things about it. I have uh, I had other healthcare workers who talk about it and are all for it. I think psychedelics can help with a lot of things, um, end of life stuff, addiction. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a new and upcoming thing. Yes, depression, anxiety, all of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm all for it, and I live in California. So you think I, I would? Know. You think I, feel I like would it have be coming for you right? quickly? I know, already, I know. It might be you know, right. It, yeah, but uh, as of now, I haven't really worked with it. But I'm all for like trying new things and anything that can help you explore, um, explore anything. I think psychedelics kind of open you up in general, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So. But I don't know enough about it, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't know if it was sort of in the hospice space at all, um, how that was uh, it working. Might be. I know I know a lot, you know, there's obviously been a ton of research around it, but how if there's been any talk about how it would get, it could potentially, maybe we're still several years from that, but. It's so hard to get because it integrated. 
unfortunately with hospice, <clears throat> Medicare is our boss. So right. unless hospice companies want to do it on their own dime, they're not going to do anything with it. I don't think, I mean, because Medicare is not going to reimburse for stuff like that. Even with like marijuana and stuff, I haven't found that, hmm. um, which is wild because that's yeah. like, you know, but so Medicare is the boss. So the boss uh, has to tell us what we can and cannot do, what they will and what they won't pay for. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of companies will go with that, which I get it. I mean, I understand there. It's unfortunately <laughs> medicine's money making as a money making business, but um, just a whole nother thing I oh, can talk we about. Could, but... Yeah, we can talk. <laughs> Wait, clearly but... we have many more conversations to be had. <laughs> yeah. um, Julie, hospice nurse Julie, as you can be found anywhere. Tell us, tell us, please, where we can find you. Um, this was amazing. You are such a wealth of knowledge. The way you talk about this, you make it so tangible, so normal, which it is. Um, and just very digestible. So please let my audience know where they can follow oh you, gosh. find you. Thank you. You have been so awesome. It's been so wonderful talking to you. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm any I'm on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok at Hospice Nurse Julie. Um and I am developing a website and stuff now so I can like finally get people on one page if they want to be there. But that's a work in progress. We'll see. But yeah, so on social media at Hospice Nurse Julie, you could find me there. And I saw you got a book deal. I got a book deal. Oh, man. Wow. Crazy. That's not coming out. I didn't know how long this kind of stuff was going to take. So my book will be out, uh, they think, June 2024. Okay. It's actually almost done. So it's almost done, which is wild, but it's going to take a year to publish. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm excited. Well, well, when that comes out, I'll have you back on to promote it. Yes. If you're up for it. I'm up for it. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.